Thanks, Mako. Well, it is good to see all of you today. You, you, you really do. You do look very handsome, very handsome. Um, some of you look better than others, but you know. <laughs> oh, no, anyway, I'll tell you who looks better is Kathy uh, Gilkey, because she's a grandmother again. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Aaron and Kathy are grandparents to little William. Uh, uh, Warren and Yasmin uh, had their baby, and, and this was a miracle. I want you to know that we've been praying for this pregnancy, and um, uh, it's just a great, great blessing. Just a healthy little baby, so it's great to have. To have, um, they'll be they'll be in church a little later on, I'm sure. But uh, we have a new member to our church family, so that's great. That's good. So God bless all of you. God bless all of you. Well, today. Uh, I, I, before I go into the, get the message, I, I want to just ahead of time just say, hey, if, come to the Thanksgiving thing. If, if you're new to the church family, this is a great place for you to, to come in and to find out what we're really like. Uh, <laughs> um, as a church family, we, you know, uh, we, we, we just get together, we just sit down, we eat together, we have fun together, we play games together. It's a great, great, great time to, to come together. Um, we just we just have fun. Uh, be sure and join us for for this time. Uh, set the time aside uh, two weeks from Sunday night. Uh, set it aside and, and join us. Um, come decorate your table. Set your table. Invite your friends, and we're gonna have a lot of fun. Great great time together. Entertainment and fun and games and food, um, and just you know honestly, just the presence of God as we're saying, God thanks a lot. God thanks so much, God for you for all that you've done for us. And so, so join us, join us, join us. Um, well, last week uh, I started a, a message on, on evil and um, I didn't get very far and I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to get very far today. It's really depressing uh, as far as I don't get. But um, um, before I get into the message, I, I do have one other thing I wanted to share with you. And... Um, we, we've talked a lot about in our church about how we have this, uh, in our kids' ministry, this really, really incredible lady who is our, our resident theologian, uh, along with Mako, who's our, our, one of our theologians. But, but, you know, um, Ruth Santa Maria, is, is, she teaches in the uh, Latin American Bible School. And now, get this, okay, this week, or is it tomorrow, Ruth? Tomorrow, she is leaving to go to Japan to teach Hebrew in Spanish to the Japanese. I don't know, something like that. Um, anyway, so she's going to be gone for a couple of weeks teaching, uh, was it Romans? Philippians? And so, as a church family, we want to bless her and send her off. So, uh, Ruth, and would you come on up? And Jonathan, would you come up with your wife? Because Jonathan's got to hold the fort down. And uh, Josh, why don't you grab the microphone? And I want you and Mako just just lead the lead the church family in prayer for them. Would you, would you stand as we pray for them? Ruth reads the Bible in Greek. She's, she's smarter than all of us put together. 
Father, we thank you for our sister, and we just pray a special divine blessing over her as she uh, gives the gospel message in, an, in a foreign country. Uh, right now, I just pray that you will prepare her way, that you will send angels ahead of her, you give her traveling mercies, but I just pray that your kingdom will, will be expressed in the classroom, mm-hmm. that your kingdom will be mm-hmm. expressed on the streets, and her, that she... That living words will come out of her mouth as she opens up the gospel message to students. Mm-hmm. God, we thank you for this opportunity that she has, the favor that she has in this, in this school, and I pray that you just continue to bless her, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord Jesus, um, thank you so much for both Ruth and Jonathan. Um, Lord, we stand behind Ruth as her church family, God, and we ask for traveling mercies, Jesus. God, we pray that you would be with her from the minute that she leaves her house, Lord, till she has a safe arrival, God, in Japan. Holy Spirit, we ask for an anointing that would just above and beyond what she has right now, God, that your spirit would just fall on her in a heavy, heavy way, God, and that she is teaching these people, Lord, <laughs> a different, different part of the world, different hemisphere, God, that that wouldn't matter that your word would come through, Jesus, and that all that you've put into her and poured into her and equipped her with, God, would come out, and that these people would not be the same, Father, and that it would it would just be drinking from a deep well, Jesus, mm-hmm. a deep well. And God, we pray for Jonathan while he's at home with the, the kids. <laughs> I'm holding down the fort, God. We pray for grace and mercy at that house too, God, just to um, help him to get everything running smoothly, Father, and have the kids be really good and um, let him not be worried about Ruth, Father. And um, God, we thank you that we get to send one of our own off like this, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Even though we're not sending her, we stand behind her, God, mm-hmm. and uh, we offer her up to you. Um, in the name of Jesus, you say amen. 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 Ruth, did you want, Ruth, you want to say, you want to say anything? Thank you very much. I love this church. I love you all. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Great, great, great. We're going to, we're proud, we're proud of, of you, Ruth. We're very happy that, uh, this, that this has taken place. Well, as I was saying before I interrupted myself, uh, <laughs> um, we're looking at evil and just the, the issue of evil, how evil came about, that when God created his creation, and I don't want to focus too much on last week's message, but I do want to remind you and to get you up to speed, but when God created um, his, his heaven and earth uh, and all of his creation, um, it was perfect. There was, no, there was no sin found in it. There was nothing wrong with it. When God uh, created a race of beings that was going to inhabit um, his, his creation. There was nothing wrong with them. I'm not talking about human beings. I'm not talking about space aliens. Uh, I'm talking about angels, that God created a race of beings, angelic beings, that uh, would, would populate his, his creation. Um, there, was, they were, there was no sin in them. God created three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, and there was no sin in them. But we do know is that as God created these, these beings, he created them with a free will. When he created human beings, he created us with a free will also. 
and so God created these beings with, the, with this choice. We, we know that, we believe that, because of some of the passages in Isaiah uh, talking about Lucifer and his fall, and the passages in Ezekiel talking about Lucifer and his fall, that, that in his heart that their iniquity was found or a jealousy was found. Again, I don't want to get into a great deal of depth on it, but, but as, as, as uh, theologians and people who can uh, dig deep into to some understanding of, of certain languages, that the Hebrew that it was written in, that Lucifer um, was this, one of these three archangels, and he had an authority in the kingdom of God. Uh, in God's creation, in, in heaven. It, it appears from the verbiage that it talks about the traveling, the, his, the traveling through him. It appears that his, in, inside of him, that part of his job was to bring glory to God. He, he, would, he would bring glory and honor to God. He would, in essence, magnify the praise that would be coming to him. Uh, it's sort of like the, 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 the tapers and the caverns inside of him, almost like a pipe organ that would, uh, would make this, this music uh, that, would, that would glorify uh, and bring honor to, to the Heavenly Father. The Bible tells us in a couple of places that Michael and Gabriel had their job descriptions also. Michael is, is uh, what we know a little after creation, but Michael was assigned, uh, we see this in Daniel in chapter 12, Michael was assigned to protect Israel. We see that Gabriel, he even describes himself as the one who stands in the presence of God. That's in Luke um, and also in, in Daniel. But we, we see these, they have this job descriptions. Lucifer was the one that fell. He, the Bible says that in essence, he got proud. Pride came up inside of him. And, and, and uh, Isaiah says that, that he made the statement, I will become like the Most High. I will take God off of his throne, and I will be the one on the, on the, on, on the throne of God. The problem is, is that he forgot one thing, that he wasn't God. Uh, he was just a, a created being. And he does not have all power, and he does not have all knowledge. He cannot be and in all. He's not omnipresent. He can't be at all the places at the same time. He's just one created being, and what he knows, he has learned. He does not have all knowledge resident inside of him. But he did learn pride. He did learn to to have pride inside of him. It's something that, as human beings, we have to be careful of in our, own, in our own selves. We don't let pride become a part of who we are because it is a part of the, that original sin, that real sin that first took place, that, that, that separated Lucifer from his place with God. It's a thing that he, he tricked uh, Eve into believing also. Well, don't you know that if you... If you do this. The only reason that God told you not to do this, to not to eat this fruit of this tree, is because He knows that you're going to, to be like Him. You're going to know good from evil. And, and, and because of that, God doesn't want you to know, He doesn't want you to have this, this knowledge. And so this pride begins to come in, and it looked good. And Satan deceived her, he tricked her 
into something into this fall. And since that time, there has been this, this warfare that every human being has been involved in. Of will we do it God's way or will we do it our way? Will we live a life of rebellion towards the authority of God or will we follow God, submit to Him, His plans and His ways? Rebellion towards God's authority is always a problem. The Bible tells us some very specific things about rebellion and about authority. The Bible tells us that rebellion towards, towards God, rebellion towards authority is like witchcraft. It is witchcraft. Whoa, 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 whoa. Having an opinion is witchcraft. It's not the opinion. It is the attitude that, that lives above it. It is that I will do it myself. Thank you. I will, and we don't quite say it the way that Lucifer said it. We don't quite say, I will become like the Most High. But in that thing that God gave us, that power of free will, we set God aside and say, I'll do it my way. I'm not going to come to you for your wisdom, for your guidance. But God, I'll figure out myself, and God, I will come and tell you how good I really am at doing these things. We looked at last week that all authority is established by, by God. Now, and, and this week, as we are going to be putting people into office this week, there's a passage in Romans in chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to this. It says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that for which God has established. Wow. All authority God has placed there. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And consequently, he who rebels, the key word there is rebels against the authority, is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is a tough one because what happens when there are unjust governments in place? What happens when governing powers arise that, that just simply are not living life according to God's plans? At the time that Paul wrote this, the Roman government was in place and it was not, they were not known for for. Christian broadcasting, okay? Uh, they, they were not known for, for, for being good and being just and being honorable. And Paul is saying, but there's a government that God has placed there. And we have to be in submission to that government. Wow. But that government told Paul not to preach the gospel. And Paul did it anyway. Was he in rebellion towards them? What I want to say is that rebellion is an attitude. It's a I'll do it my way. Josh preached a couple of weeks ago about Daniel and his attitude that he had when, when, um, when Darius told him, you can't pray. About the, the, the Hebrew children when, when Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to have to bow down and, and, and worship uh, worship the God that, that's erected to, to me. 
And the attitude was not, well, we'll show you. you. You can't do this to us. But the attitude was, we serve a higher authority. See, two rebellions don't make a submission. I just made that up. Uh, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Two rebellions, rebelling towards something that has been a rebellion towards God. So, so what do we do? What, what do we do here? How do we handle this? What do, we, what do we make of this when there is a government that is saying, you can't do this? And, and, and what, what is our attitude? And our attitude has to be like the children of Israel, uh, like, like the three Hebrew children and, and like Daniel. No, there's a higher calling, a higher authority that I must pay attention to. I'm not going to be negative. I'm not going to have this rebellious attitude, but I'm going to serve the higher authority first. You know, last week I, we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian during, um, during the, the, the 30s and the 40s in, in Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a God-fearing pastor under Nazism. And so we're going to talk about, you know, I asked you the question last week, how many of you know how Dietrich Bonhoeffer died? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was executed. He was hung because he was involved in an assassination attempt against Hitler. So here's a man of God who is facing uh, the, the noose because he rebelled against authority? And I want to talk about that because I want to talk about some, some issues that maybe even we as Christians in, in America, we may have to face sometimes coming up because already we're seeing our freedoms as they're being chipped away at. They are being removed from us. We're being forced to say things and to believe things. If we say something that is scriptural, then all of a sudden we, we, we know we're, we're, we're people of, of narrow-minded, we're people of hate, we're people that... And the Word of God is something that we must stand and, and, and stand with, with a solid Christ-like attitude, but at the same time stand for the truth and not water down the truth. Many of you know this, and some of you uh, may not know this, but a part of our own church family, we have three people... That, that were raised up uh, that, or, and had to face some decisions in regards to, to, to Nazism in Germany. W one of our greatest treasures in our church is Lydia Nolte. Uh, John and Lydia, as, as great, great founders and elders in this church, uh, have, have know what they're talking about, and, uh, as, as well as, as Heinz and, and, and Katrina Fisher, who, who, had, who grew up under this and had to make decisions. There's something in talking with Lydia last week. He said, you know, give me wisdom. What is it like to grow up under a regime? You know, and her response was simply, you know, we, what we knew is, you know, you don't talk bad about the Reich. If you do that, people disappeared all the time. This is, this is great. This is great. She says, my mother didn't quite get that. <laughs> You know, we were always afraid that mom was going to disappear because she was not afraid to speak out against. You know, and you know, and it's you know, it's not that that people who are holding their words, uh, but but at the same time, and what, what one of the things that Lydia said, and I want you to grasp this, and we understand this, and Lydia said last week is that the church in Germany was never stronger 
than it was under Nazism. Because the church prayed. The church knew everything was at risk. And so when someone like Lydia says, church, pray, pay attention, folks. Pay attention. The church needs to be praying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in 1906. And he was, he was the pastor of, of a couple of Lutheran churches and eventually in 1934 to, he organized a, a group called Pastors Emergency League to, in opposition towards the state-controlled Nazism of, of the church. Um, eventually it evolved into another organization called the Confessing Church. The Confessing Church was... Uh, eventually shut down uh, by, by the Nazis in 1937. And Bonhoeffer was very active in his opposition against national socialism. He saw this socialism as something that was uh, uh, totally against everything that the Church of Jesus Christ was committed to. And a part of, of this uh, this group that he belonged to, he was eventually recruited into the resistance. Uh, and the core, the, the core foundation of this resistance was to assassinate Adolf Hitler and to overthrow the Third Reich. It was an elite group of, 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 of people. Uh, there were a couple of military generals. I mean, I think we, we all have um, seen a few movies of, of, some, of different people that were opposed to it and were trying to make a stand. But Hitler was, in, was one of these groups that was opposed to it. Eventually, um, Bonhoeffer, as well as a couple of brother-in-laws and another couple of generals were executed with Bonhoeffer. Uh, they were hung without trial, but they were hung. And, you know, and sometimes you go, oh, man. But they were hung six days before... Hitler committed suicide. But Bonhoeffer left a legacy for us to pay attention to. Regardless of, of what you may think about certain parts of Bonhoeffer, but when you, when you read his book on, 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 on dis, books on discipleship, when you read what he had to say about what a Christian is really supposed to be about, you begin to realize that there were some things that took place for Bonhoeffer Christianity meant involvement. It wasn't something you just talked about, but it was something that he that 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 to share in Christ's reality is to become a responsible person, a person who performs actions in accordance with the reality and the fulfilled will of God. This was in his book that he was writing when he was ex executed of, of ethics. There are, there are two guidelines that, that Bonhoeffer used for, for these actions as, as Christians that we had to be involved in. One of them was the need of one's neighbor. And the second one was the model of Jesus. This is, those are the two things that everything has to be based on. That if, if I understand and I treasure life the way that, that Jesus Christ treasured life, this gift of life, this, this, this gift of the breath of life, 
then I have to watch out for my neighbor and, and, guard, and guard for my neighbor as well. That was the reason that he got into trouble and was arrested for, for smuggling Jews outside of Germany because he knew that his neighbor had a need. And he believed that the model of Jesus would be to partake. There was responsible action. In other words, there was a high-risk value that if it's worth anything, it's worth the investment of your life. You must be willing to lay down your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Bonhoeffer was putting these things together, and I'm going to give you some quotes. One of them is in, in his book called The Cost of Discipleship. If you ever want a just a lazy day's afternoon reading, don't pick up that book. <laughs> if you really want to be challenged and if you want to have God stomp into your heart, then, then read the book. He talks about grace and discipleship, and he says that cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jack wares. The sacraments of forgiveness of sin and the consolation of religion are thrown away at cut-rate prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasure for which she showers the blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is the account that it has been paid in advance and because it has been paid in advance that everything can be had for nothing. That cheap grace means, as a doctrine, it's a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as the general truth that the love that God taught as Christians' concept of God. An intellectual assent that the ideas to be held in itself sufficient to secure the forgiveness of sins and that the real desire to be delivered from sin, that cheap grace therefore amounts to the denial of the living word of God and in fact the denial of the incarnation of Christ. When we see that, oh, yes, just do what you want to do. Just go live like hell. God will forgive it. I can do it because Jesus paid the price for it. So, so what? Who are you to be my judge? Cheap grace is grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is baptism without church discipline. I can't tell you the numbers of times as a pastor that I've tried to bring discipline into people's lives. and say, but the word of God says this. Well, forget you. I'll go down the street where I'll be well received. Don't bring your discipline into my life. Don't expect me to, to change because the word of God says that I need to. No, forget it. That cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross of Jesus Christ. It's grace without Jesus living 
and incarnate in our world. Costly grace. It's the treasure that's hidden in the field. For the sake of it, man will gladly go and sell everything that he has. It's the pearl of great price. To buy, which the merchant will sell all of his goods, sell everything. It is the kingly rule of Jesus Christ. For whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus in which the disciple leaves his nets and follows Christ. It's costly because it costs man his life. And it's grace because it gives man his life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. The Bible says you were bought with a price. And what has cost God so much cannot be cheap for us. Above delivering him up for us, costly grace, it is the incarnation of God. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, both modern liberal theology, liberal theology that says, no, no, it's okay, there's other ways to, to God besides Jesus Christ. Just pick one and be serious and you're going to be okay. Modern liberal theology that attacks the word of God. and uh, It's just a book written by men, numbers of men down through history, and it's full of errors. Both modern liberal theology and secular totalitarianism hold pretty much in common that the message of the Bible has to be adapted, more or less, to the requirements of a secular world. No wonder that the process of debasing Christianity by liberal theology led, in the long run, to a complete perversion and falsification of the essence of Christianity. Bonhoeffer put his life on the line for it. As they led him from his prison cell to, to the noose to hang the gallows, on the gallows, he never compromised. He never had the, the nasty attitude of how dare you, but said, I will not bow to, to this theology that, that, that compromises the word of God and compromises the message of Jesus Christ and compromises the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I will not compromise that. And yes, it did cost him his life. Because anything that, that we understand about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is costly. It is costly. Because of that, the enemy of God wants to, 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 to rob us wants to, to rob us of, of, of that understanding of who God is. Wants to get us into that place to where we are adjusting it to fit the secular world around us where whatever you believe is okay. And instead of standing up and saying, no, the gospel is narrow. Narrow is the road to eternal life. Broad is the road to destruction. And that's the reason that as a church family, 
inside of our city that, 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 that worships secular humanism, that worship, worships the, the issue of, of knowledge above, above human knowledge above, above the knowledge of God. It's a reason that we must, we must, we must, we must continue to, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That we must, in our, in our parking lot at Christian, Christmas time, do everything we can to stomp our feet as loud and as hardly as possible to proclaim the virgin birth and the deity of Christ in an uncompromising way. I'm glad that, that, that many people in our community see th- this living nativity as a part of their, their Christmas tradition. I'm very happy and I'm very pleased about that. It, 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 it's great, but I want you to know something. As a church, we don't do it as a, as a seasonal gathering. We do it for spiritual warfare to say Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. There is no other way. But the enemy of God and his points of deception tries to make it look, just to look politically, politically acceptable, tries to take the value of, of life and make it a political choice, tries to get to the gift, the breath of life, and say, how dare you say that I don't have rights to make choices? And the whole time, God is saying, I value life. I treasure life. It's, it's a gift. And you see, this deception that the enemy throws off on us to get us to, to water down. We can look at a certain things and say, oh, how horrible that was. How horrible that was. But at the same time, we have to look at ourselves and say, where am I compromising and what am I doing? And where have I been deceived? You see, when, when, at, when, when Satan came into the garden, when Lucifer came into the garden to, to, to tempt Adam and Eve, it, it came in, in in a very logical pattern, you know, beginning to undermine the authority of God. God's just afraid. He's afraid that if you, if you eat from this, that you're going to be smarter than him. You know, you're going to know good from, e- from evil. You know, and he doesn't want you to. He doesn't want you to know that. How, you know, and so there's this there's this deception that begins to come in. There's this trickery that begins to come in where it makes sense in the mind, it makes sense up here. And God is saying, but I want your heart. I want more than just your mind. I want your heart as well. And that deception, I'm sure that you know we've all been around around people that are that are very very deceptive. And yes, I know that you have because you had a president also that pointed his finger at you in the camera and deceived us as a nation and lied to us as a nation and said, I did not have sex with that woman. And a little later on, the smoking gun was there. Well, well, maybe I did something, but, but you know, it just depends on what your definition of is, is. And we bought it. We bought it. Maybe you've been around people that you know, there's a deception in dealing with an issue a while back of a person whose, whose life was, was based on, a, on, on one major deceptive lie and, and you know, over a period of time this thing began to come out and all of a sudden there was this, these bits and pieces that I you know, begin to deal with and holy smokes, here's this smoking gun and uh, what, what about this? I don't know, don't, don't, it's not my fault, it's not my... And, and, and you know what? 
I, you know, you want to believe the deception. You want to, to believe the best. And sometimes as we're giving grace that God doesn't give, we, we think that we are, we are more powerful than God. And now all, as, as I had to deal with some issues of saying, oh, wait a minute, there is an issue. And I was confronted with something of the, a person who held the truth. We held the truth. And, he, and finally he said, Larry because I had been talking to him for a long time. Well, is there a possibility? Is there a possibility? Is, there, is this? Finally, he says, Larry, get over it. You've been lied to. You've been deceived. And his last words were, now then, I've told you the truth. Don't bother me anymore. See, sometimes God comes into our life and says the same thing. I've told you the truth. You want to be deceived? I can't, I can't stop you from being deceived. You want to compromise the word of God? I can't stop you from that. You want to get that pride thing going on in your heart, thinking you're smarter than me? I can't stop you from that. But here's the truth. You're going to base your life on it? Or are you going to walk around in deception and someday stand before God and say, I don't get it. I don't get it. See, the Bible is... <sighs> irritates the daylights out of me, some of the passages in the Bible. Jesus said, in that day, you're going to say, but didn't we, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we heal the sick? Said, yeah, but I never knew you. It's not the fireworks. It's the intimate relationship with God that works. It's not the tapping into some of the, 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 the card tricks. It is simply this. Do I know Christ in my heart? Am I serving him? John, in his letter, he said, you know, they were in our number. They, they look like us. They, they talk like us. They act like us. And we thought that they were us, but the truth is they were never really us. They were never really in the family of faith. And you see, this is the issue with deception. So how do, we, how do we stop from being deceived? How do we move into to that place? And it is simply that the main thing is just simply by that intimate relationship with who God is. It is that being captured by the love of God so strongly. See, there's a difference between, there's a, a big difference between communicative knowledge and revealed knowledge. Revealed knowledge is that thing. I'm sure you've done this. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you say, I've read, wow, I never saw that before. It's the Holy Spirit doing work inside of you folks. Get used to it. The Holy Spirit is there teaching and revealing the truth to you. And you understand something. I, I can't exactly put it into words I know, I know this thing about God. I, I know this. And that's the Holy Spirit that's coming in and teaching. He is the teacher. He's teaching your spirit. It's not just a knowledge up here. It's something down here. There's something that happens when, when God comes in and His grace and His power and does this work alive inside of you and you just simply get carried away with who He is. I'm going to ask Crystal to put the, the words to this song up back up on the screen. You know, 
He's jealous for me. If anybody should understand some things about hurricanes right now, it should be our nation. And we see how, you know, he's jealous for me. He loves me like a hurricane. He comes in and just wipes out everything. Every every pretense set up against his love for me is going to wipe that out. This is God's love for you. And that's why sometimes you just need to realize that, yes, there's going to be a head knowledge, but if there's not some emotion that's driving you in your love for God, then you need to fall in love with Jesus. You need to understand who he is and his passion for you. He's jealous for you. He's not willing to, sell, to, to compromise you and let somebody else share you. He wants your heart. I'm a tree bending beneath the wind of his mercy, that his mercy is so strong that, that it, it, it's almost like uprooting me because this is God's love for me. Okay, when all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions, that there's, there's this ungodliness that, that's there and these afflictions that are on me, and these afflictions, they're eclipsed by his glory. It doesn't matter that the problems are there. I, I want to be sensitive about this. Yes, it, you know, in a sense, yes, it matters when you can't feed your family. Yes, it does. It matters when there's loss. Maybe a, a mate or a husband or a wife has betrayed you. Yes, there's those afflictions that are there, but, but his glory, the glory of God, the truth of who God is, and his power alive inside me for not just a few, 70 or 80, 90 years on earth, but for all eternity, that he's got a plan for me. I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your, your affections are for me. Are you aware of God's affections for you? Is God just a religious thing that you do once in a while? Do you feel those emotions? Do you have those tears for, for God? Man. <laughs> Why would he love me? I'm a mess up. I'm a number one mess up. I know who I am. But the problem is, is he even knows me better than I know myself. He still has affection. We're his portion and he's our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. And this is where, honestly, the emotion has to start coming in. Because when you look into the eyes of God, you look into the eyes of the Savior that died on the cross for your sins, you've got to have the emotional response. You've got to be driven by it, like, I'll give my life for you. It's not the issue of how much can I get by with and still be a Christian, and this, this, this cheap grace that Bonhoeffer talks about. But I'm willing to pay the, the price, the cost of, of, of your grace. I'm not going to take it cheap. I'm going to see it as, as a major treasure. And I will give everything to follow and to serve you. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. The grace of God is all around us. So heaven, 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, bring heaven to earth. May we have that encounter here on earth like an unforeseen kiss. You know, the author of this song originally wrote it and we, we, had, to, we had to soften it up a little bit yeah, because it was a little culture offense. And I'm going to be very honest with you. You really don't get it unless you're emotionally in love with God. Unless you're emotionally involved with who Jesus Christ is. To hear the words that heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. See, that was written by somebody that didn't have a head knowledge. That was written by somebody that understood the emotions and understood the heart of a loving God. And all it could get out was, man, it's, it's like this. It's like this. And this is the God that we are serving. And if you're not emotionally in love and emotionally involved in this God, you've missed the boat. You've missed it. Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a cold, calculated person, and, you know, Larry, you're emotional, and we understand that, and, you know, that's how you are. You should fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Understand the power of a cross. While we were yet sinners, dirty, filthy, ugly, Christ died for us. We can't get into his presence on our own good works. You cannot feed enough people at the food bank. You cannot bring enough rice and, and pasta here to, to feed the hungry, to, 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 to get God's favor. You've already got it. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. This is a little awkward and a little difficult but I got to tell you what, what the Bible is saying is that our righteousness is, is like menstrual rags and it is like rags that the lepers use to, 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 to bind their wounds. That's how God sees our good works, but not how he sees us. Oh, how he loves you. <laughs> oh, how he loves you. And as Bonhoeffer says, you know, when you've been captured by that love, there's going to be responsible action that's going to take place. We will be submitted to the principles of the kingdom of God. We will be people who function in authority of the word of God. We will see those things happen. I'm going to ask the band to come back up to the front. And as they're coming, if you have never stepped across, and by the way, yes, I did not get into the outline on the bulletin. As I told the first, it's, it's a great sermon. You should hear it. Wow, what a great. <laughs> but I didn't, but I, I didn't get to it. I didn't get to it. Man, it's, it's good. Anyway, um, I want to talk to you who maybe have never stepped across the line of faith yet. I want to talk to your hearts. I want to speak to that thing inside of you that wants more from God, but something's not quite right. 
where you've never confessed that need. Maybe you've had the attitude of, God, I'll be good, I'll win your favor, and someday when I stand before you, maybe you're going to weigh it out. You, well, you did, look at this, you did more good than you did evil, so, so come on in. It's not going to work that way. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because you accepted Jesus Christ. He's the only way. There is no other name given whereby man may be saved. And if you've never given your life to Christ, if you have never made that choice, because like Adam and Eve made a choice to rebel, you must make a choice to submit to God. And then we must make that choice. And if you've never made that choice, I want to invite you to make today that day that you make that choice. I'm going to ask you to, to do something. I'm going to ask all of you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you say, you know, Pastor, today I want to give my life to Christ. I want to turn and make him the leader of my life. I've been leading it long enough. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I need to undo the work of, of sin at the fall. And I need to give you my life, Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something. What I'm going to ask you to do is, first of all, to, to raise your hand and say, yes, I need to do that. At the close of the service, just a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you to come up to the front. We have people who are going to pray with you and, and um, get you going on your walk with the Lord. But is there anyone here this morning you say, I need to give my life to Christ. Today is the day that I need to turn and start walking the other direction. ask you to all stand with me and ask the ushers to come to the front you know and maybe as we're talking maybe you're not quite ready to step across that line you'll mark that box on the tear off of your, of your bulletin make sure you put your name and a phone number there you know I'm, I'm considering this I want to talk more about this we'll give you a call this week we'll give you a call this week but this morning as you are giving as you are investing in the kingdom of God. See it as, as, as giving to advance the work of Christ because that's exactly what it is. As we stand in this city as light in a dark place, as we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, Understand that as you are giving the tithe back to the Lord and as you are giving that offering above the tithe, that you are, you are blessing what God is doing. And you are bringing those finances under the authority of God. So as you give this morning, give with the confidence of this is spiritual warfare. This is to advance the kingdom of God. So, Father, we give to you now out of grateful hearts, God, not to win your favor because we've already got that. God, God, you've already kissed us with a sloppy wet kiss.
And we're here to say thank you. God bless you as you give to the Lord this morning.